When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're a fan of 80s action movies, you should know the Cannon Group, run by Israeli cousins Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus. In the 80s, they cranked out a slew of low-budget action movies, most of which were hated by critics. Yet every once in a while, they made a legitimately great movie that would even make the critics sit up and take notice. One such as this 80s flick directed by Andre Konchalovsky, who later made Tango and Cash, and based on a script by Akira Kurosawa, who is a legendary filmmaker in his own right. So get yourself all greased up, jump on board, and then hold on tight as J.B. Huffman and I discuss Runaway Train from 1985 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. The most startling journey you'll ever take. I'll kill them. Let me do it. Has just begun. Oh, smile, man, we're free! We make a hell of a team, don't we, man? I don't know nothing from nothing. Being around me is really stupid. I'm in war with the world, everybody in it. I don't know what happened, but there's no engineer on this train. There's nobody on this train but us. The brake shoes have burned off. The overspeed control must have gotten screwed up, Amy. Engineers do not just croak. You want to be a tough guy? You want to be a legend? Go back! Sucker, come on! Some fun. <laughs> you want to shoot me? Shoot me! Shoot the kid! Come on, you don't you care guy. about him! I tell you, man, you die, sucker! Don't make me kill At stake is their spirit, their freedom, and their lives. John Voigt, Eric Roberts, Rebecca De Mornay, Runaway Train. A film by Andrei Konchalovsky. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host, to talk about one of the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind the scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. 
And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. I'm sure I butchered Andre's last name, but I tried to practice before we started. <laughs> but uh, it's not the first name I'll butcher on this podcast, and I'm sure it won't be the last, so... All right, welcome in everybody. So glad to have you with us for this episode. Uh, excited to talk about this movie, which uh, would I would kind of fall into my forgotten '80s flicks uh, kind of series we did last year. But because it's set in winter and cold, as we're in January, which is you know I always think about the winter month to try to do like winter themed uh, episodes during January. And it's also kind of we're getting into award season. The Golden Globes have already happened, getting ready for the Oscars. And I know this one was nominated for a few things. I thought this would be a good one to uh, to talk about this month. So uh, so we're going to jump right in. But first, let me introduce my co-host from the Manly Movies podcast, Mr. J.B. Huffman. How you doing, J.B.? I'm doing great. It's <laughs> Sunday night, and it's not nearly as cold here as it was on that movie that I just watched. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a cold snap here like the last couple of days, but it was it was kind of it was in the 50, it was in the upper 50s, like almost 60 degrees today. So it was uh, kind of nice. But yeah, definitely not as cold as uh, the weather and runaway train, which I think was supposed to be in like Alaska. I think I don't we'll uh, get think we'll get so. into it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, but anyway, so glad to have JB with us. So JB, why don't you tell us a little bit about Manly Movies and what you've got that's recently come out at all or what you got planned for the new year? Yeah, Manly Movies is, is me and I, another guest. Um, you know, We talk about our favorite movies and the lessons they teach us about being a man. I've had Tim on here once before. We discussed Tombstone, which mm-hmm. is... You know, one of my one of one of the top most downloaded episodes still. And then we also have another one coming up at some point. I'm not sure when but <laughs> uh, on uh, another Andre. Yeah, I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Con- Konchalowski. Yeah. T- Tango and cash. Right. Um, but I've got one coming that I'm s- hope to be releasing this week. I don't know what, when you'll hear this episode, but. Uh, it's going to be on Equilibrium. I don't know if you've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, Christian Bale, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop that one soon. And then I've got um, the ones I've got in the bank. I've got, um, you know, The Raid and The Raid Two, Alpha Dog, Expendables. I'm gonna try to release that right before uh, the Expendables Four comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got Rocky, and Walking Tall, and Grave of Fireflies. Okay. Cool. Um, and quick in quiz show. Sorry, I forgot. I missed that one. But, <laughs> but yeah, we've got, I think, 18 episodes already released. So check a, a pretty decent backlog now. And, mm-hmm. then, and then I have all those coming up. So very cool. Yeah, great show. Definitely check it out. Uh, JB has, you know, one like I do, he has different guest co-hosts every week. So he's had some great co-hosts and uh, some good discussions on some really good movies. You know, they did one on uh, remember the Titans. We're talking about football season. We did one. Remember the Titans. It was really good. You did one on uh, field of dreams. Like what the, when did your first one, I think. First episode was on yeah, field, field of dreams. That was yep. a really good one. That one sticks out in my mind. So definitely worth checking out. So uh, go listen to manly movies podcast when you get a chance. 
Uh, listen to this one first and then go listen to Man Eaters. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're into classic film, I just the last one that I released uh, right before Christmas was Casablanca. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, that that was our first – that was my first classic that, that mm-hmm. I covered on the show. Um, but, yeah, that was that's, that's a good episode. Check that one out for sure. Oh, yeah. A lot, a lot of good lessons in that movie. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Runaway Train. So – so we'll say up front, neither one of us saw this movie when it came out. Of course, this was released the year that JB was born. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I know, uh, when did you see it for the first time and tell us that story? Back in 2020, whenever the pandemic hit, you know, I, I watched a lot of older movies and I was trying to, wa- I was trying to watch a lot of AFI movies and, um, Oscar winners. But one thing I was also trying to do was, you know, watch movies from the year I was born. Mm-hmm. And so I looked up all these and that one just kind of popped up on that list was runaway train. I was like, Oh, John Boyd, man, 1985. That looks cool. Mm-hmm. And I and I remember watching it. And the first time I watched it, man, I was just completely blown away. I just, yeah. Yeah. It, it was just so intense. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man. And, and, and John Boyd, man, uh, dude is such an incredible actor. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it does not get, talked about nearly enough mainly because yeah. of his politics probably <laughs> <laughs> maybe so yeah yeah but he doesn't work i mean he's you know he's a steady actor but he's not you know he doesn't have like a new movie coming out every year or even every two years so he's not yeah. he's, he's not really in the in the spotlight or the limelight uh as often as others so yeah uh yeah so i had never seen this movie before uh watching it for the podcast so my first time watching it was this week but I remember, I don't think I necessarily remember seeing the trailer, but I think at the video store, like I, I, I knew the, I knew what the movie was, or I mean, I knew about the movie, but I'd never seen it. And I think because like I watching it, knowing, I mean, it was rated R and I saw R rated movies when I was younger, but it's a very intense R and it's not super violent. It's not, you know, got a lot of, you know, sex and nudity, that kind of stuff, but it's, it's an intense movie. And even just kind of the subject matter for me as a kid would not have understood. This is, you know, this isn't a movie. It's not your typical action movie. Like kids can, or I say kids can watch, but you know, kids of our uh, kids of my age that watched die hard and Terminator and commando when they're like 10 or 11. But I remember, I think I remember seeing the VHS cover and kind of knowing that the movie existed, but, never really got a chance to watch it. And it's not one that, you know, we talk a lot about movies you see on TV over the years that, you know, be on TV. I've never known of this being on TV or aired for television. So it's been kind of one of those forgotten, you know, like I said, a forgotten eighties flick, one that was very popular at the time when it came out, it was nominated for golden globes and Oscars. So it's one that definitely was part of the culture then, but it hasn't had that longevity as some other eighties movies uh, that get more buzz i guess as you would say uh, even now but how long it had been since you rewatched i guess it was two years watched in 2020 so <laughs> question so was it different watching it the second time than the first time not really i mean it was I, obviously it, it didn't hit me like it did the first time oh yeah right, yeah, you know? yeah but watching it now i kind of i understood more about what his reasoning was behind everything and mm-hmm. the fact that he really just had nothing to lose and I don't know. I, I guess I kind of felt more empathy for him uh, okay. in, in, this time around, knowing what what happened and what and how it went down already. Uh, and it was and it was pretty fresh on my mind. I was mean, just mm-hmm. watched it a couple of years ago, and then right, I watched it right. again the other night. So 
I had intended to watch it twice. I watched it a few days ago and then I really was trying to watch it again today before recording, but wasn't able to do that. So I think like you kind of, you kind of confirmed that I probably should have watched again because they, I did have questions. Like there were certain parts of the movie. I was like thinking after it was over, I was like, I feel like I need to see it again. Cause I think I missed some pieces. Like I didn't fully grasp some of like said, understanding Manny, uh, John Boyd's character and why he was doing what he was doing and things of that nature. So I think it's definitely one that deserves multiple viewings. I think you'll see, you'll get more out of it each time or get more, understand more of the character and the choices that are made more times you watch it, which is always a good sign for a good, good movie. Yeah. I almost didn't finish it the second time either because (laughs) I started it and like, it was really late and I fell asleep. Mm -hmm. And then last night I went to see Avatar 2. Oh yeah, but it's a long. But movie. it was it was a late night movie, right? And it's right. three and a half hours. Yeah. And the movie went through midnight. Mm-hmm. So I had I drank an energy drink during the movie, right? <laughs> and so by the time I get home, I'm like still wired. I can't oh, go to bed. Goodness. So I'm like, oh, I just need to finish that movie then. I yeah, guess. Right. <laughs> so right. Like I sat there and <laughs> hey, that's yeah. one way to do it for sure. <laughs> right. Look, I thought about having an energy drink before we started this podcast tonight, but uh, no, I'm good. It's been a, it's just been a long day. <laughs> And now, these messages. Hey, 80s Flick lovers. Just want to take a few minutes and say thanks again for listening to the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We don't have any shout-outs to new subscribers this time, but if you'd like to support the podcast on a monthly basis through buymeacoffee.com, we do offer three tiers of support. We have Cult Classic for $5 a month, Be Kind, Please Rewind for $10 a month, and Box Office Blockbuster for $15 a month. You can even receive an 80s Flick Flashback t-shirt if you become a Box Office Blockbuster member. So don't miss out. You can also leave a one-time donation for $5 or more if you choose. Just go to our website, 80sflickflashback.com, or the link in the show notes for more details and how to start your subscription membership. We'll always offer free episodes. We'll never put any of our past seasons or episodes behind a paywall. But it does cost money to keep the podcast running. Since the creation of the podcast, I've personally paid monthly for the website, the Zoom account, various movie rentals and streaming subscriptions, marketing tools, and any other miscellaneous expenses that pop up from time to time. If you love the show, then please consider being one of our subscription members through buymeacoffee.com. Every little bit helps, and it's greatly appreciated. Hey, you can also support the show by buying an official logo t-shirt, sweatshirt, or sticker from our brand new online store. There are multiple styles and colors to choose from, so go check out the selection also on our website as well as the link in the show notes. If you want to do something special for my birthday coming up in November or just for the holidays, you can find my Amazon wish list at the link in the show notes. I've compiled a list of Blu-rays and DVDs that I want to add to my collection. Some are 80s, some are not as I move away from digital content and back to physical copies. Hey, if you love 80s pop music and movie soundtracks as much as I do, you can also find the 80s flick flashback movie songs mix playlist on Apple Music. It's full of hit songs like Footloose, Ghostbusters, and Purple Rain, as well as some deeper cuts from 80s flicks like Catch Me Now I'm Falling from Hiding Out, Rhythm of the Night from The Last Dragon, and Babysitting Blues from Adventures in Babysitting. This would have been my ultimate movie soundtrack mixtape growing up if I could have found a cassette tape to hold seven hours worth of songs. Thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate every one of you, and I'm amazed each week to watch the number of new listeners grow. 
It's because of you and your support that the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is still going strong. Let's keep the fun going. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, well, let's jump in a little bit to uh, story origin and pre-production. So, as mentioned in the intro, Akira Kurosawa uh, read an article in a 1963 Life magazine by Warren Young about a runaway train. He thought it would make a good film and contacted Joseph E. Levine about doing an international co-production. In June of 1966, Kurosawa announced he would make Runaway Train for Joseph Levine's Embassy Pictures. The budget was to be $5.6 million. The script was written by Kurosawa, Hideo Oguni, and Ryuzo Kikushima. I'm butchering these names, I do apologize. About two escaped convicts who hide on board a stationary train only for it to roll away, gradually picking up tremendous speed. Sidney Carroll was hired to adapt his script into English. The film would be shot along tracks between Syracuse and Rochester, New York, over 16 weeks in October of 1966. Akira Kurosawa originally planned to cast Henry Fonda as the railway man and Peter Falk as the escaped convicts. That would have been a definitely a different era. Plans yeah. to shoe were actually canceled at the last minute, only to be scheduled and canceled yet again. And in April of 67, the project had been, quote unquote, indefinitely postponed. And Kurosawa signed on to make Tora, 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 which became one of his most well-known films. In 1982, the Nippon Herald Company, which owned Kurosawa's script, asked Francis Ford Coppola to recommend a director. Coppola and his producer, Tom Luddy, suggested Andre Konchalovsky, the director succeeded in raising finance from Canon Films. Konkolovsky said, The design is still Kurosawa's. The concentration of energy and passion, the existential point of view, and the image of the train as something, perhaps civilization, out of control. Manny, the character played by Dwight, feels win or lose, what's the difference? That's not very familiar to the Western mind. We tend to love winners and we don't like losers. And that was his quote, which I thought was a good way to kind of uh, talk about the film. One of several Hollywood movies based on or loosely inspired by a script or film by Akira Kurosawa. That's what this movie is. Others included The Outrage in 1964, Star Wars, A New Hope in 77, Miller's Crossing in 1990, Last Man Standing in 96, The Magnificent Seven in 1960, and Battle Beyond the Stars in 1980. So... Yeah, if you don't know the name Akira Kurosawa, you can definitely Google. I, you know, I, I could have done a lot more research just about him, but it was going to take up a lot of a lot of time. But very influential in American filmmaking, even though he was a Japanese director. You have any insight on him? Well, I was going to say Magnificent Seven is like yeah. straight up like Seven Samurai. It's, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the exact shot same plot, <laughs> it's the exact same plot, but it's just Americanized. And yeah. then. A lot of people don't realize this, but A Bug's Life is actually based off of that too. If, wow, I had not—I didn't think about that. Go back and watch it, man. It's very, it's very, very, very similar. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, to to the uh, Seven Samurai slash, you know, Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've actually, um, I watched. I really like Seven Samurai. I mean, that's that. I mean, that movie's perfection to me, man. <laughs> um. And the only other one that I've seen, if well, actually, as far as directing, I've seen uh, Rashomon. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I'm pronouncing that yeah, correctly. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I know that he also wrote um, some, well, was you know involved in like uh, Fistful of Dollars, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 
he didn't direct it, but I think he was yeah, like he, one of the writers on yeah, it. Yeah, he still wrote. He wrote a lot of movies. He, or he wrote several movies he didn't direct. Yeah, I, I want to go back and I want to watch a lot more <laughs> of his movies, man. But it's just hard for me to make time for foreign film because I have to be like in yeah, you that gotta mindset. Be fully, yeah, because fully you, engaged. There's yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I get it. I get it. So the director, Konchalovsky, knew John Voigt, who had helped get the director his visa to work on in the U.S. in 1979. Voigt wanted him to direct Rhinestone Heights, which was ultimately never made. Originally, the character played by John Voigt was a convicted killer, but writer and ex-con Edward Bunker changed him to a safecracker because he felt the other prisoners would not respect a killer. Which I thought was a good change mm. for that that mm. for his Voigt. Voigt had actually thought the character was all wrong for him until Con- Konkolovsky advised Voigt the best villains in movies are quote-unquote actors who play against type. Voigt ended up winning the Golden Globe Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Drama Award for this film, as well as receiving an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor. Well-deserved, yeah. I think. Oh, for sure. So so since <laughs> since we're talking about um, Voigt's Academy Awards, right. uh, the, his, guess who he lost to in his first nomination for Midnight Cowboy? Mr. Manly Movies himself, uh, <laughs> the Duke John Wayne for oh, True Grit. Oh, there you go. True Grit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. That would do it. For sure, right? I mean, if you're going to lose anybody, it's Rooster Cogburn, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, True Grit's a great, great movie. All right, so when they decided to shoot the movie, uh, shoot the movie principal photography began early 1985 at the Boot, Anaconda, and Pacific Roundhouse in Anaconda, Montana. During filming, the crew realized they didn't have any real snow due to warm temperatures, a false spring in the area. They used Christmas tree flock for fake snow, and they had to keep it from melting on the tracks at the West Yard. Canon Films, of course, had to cut short its stay in Anaconda, and they moved into Deer Lodge, Montana, to film the prison scenes at the old Montana State Prison. Approximately 200 extras were hired to play prisoners in the scenes. They spent a week filming several scenes at the prison. Finally, the second unit team went to Whittier, Alaska to film on the Alaska railroad tracks. All right. So let's talk about the cast. And we've already kind of already mentioned Mr. John Voigt, but a little bit about his background. He came to prominence in the late sixties with his Academy award nominated performance as Joe book, a would be gigolo in midnight cowboy in 1969. During the seventies, he became a Hollywood star with his betrayals of a businessman mixed up with murder and deliverance in 72, a paraplegic Vietnam veteran and coming home in 78 for which he won an Academy Award for Best Actor, and as a penniless ex-boxing champion in the remake of The Champ in 1979. Mm. He made a comeback in Hollywood during the mid-90s in Michael Mann's crime epic Heat in 95, opposite De Niro and, and Pacino. He portrayed Jim Phelps in Mission Impossible in 1996. He was also the corrupt NSA agent and enemy, enemy of the state in 1988, I'm sorry, 1998 with Will Smith. And the unscrupulous attorney Leo F. Drummond in Francis Ford Coppola's The Rainmaker in 97, which earned him a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actor. He's been in some really good movies. <laughs> Once again, we talked about that before. He doesn't do a lot of movies, but what he's in, he's really, really good in. You didn't even mention the best one, man. Varsity Blues, Bud Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't mention them all. Can't mention them. Yeah, I, forgot no, about, I, forgot, I forgot about Varsity Blues, actually. Yeah. When did I know John Voight? I think I have vague memories of watching the champ because that was him and Ricky. It was Ricky Schroeder back then before uh, Rick Schroeder went on to be in silver spoons. But I think I remember seeing that 
as a kid, like on TV, but I didn't see like, he didn't really do a whole lot in the eighties. I think besides this movie and maybe a few others that weren't as successful, but in the nineties, of course, all the ones we mentioned, I saw him in heat. I saw him in mission impossible. I saw him in Anaconda. the state. So Anaconda rainmaker. So mm-hmm. uh, I really knew John Voight much later than his early work. You have a favorite John Voight performance as an actor. You've probably seen I more mean, of his movies than I have. I mean, he always plays a character that everybody loves to hate, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> most of his most of his roles are like he's the biggest jerk, and, and mm-hmm. I think what takes the cake is Varsity Blues. I mean, that guy is like the most evil person I have ever seen in <laughs> in any movies, and he's a high school football coach. Right. Right. And oh, it's like, oh man, that just drives me nuts makes it even um, worse right it makes it worse yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i would say but as far as like my favorite of his his characters i really liked him in this i mean i mm-hmm. thought he was yeah. just yeah like just so intense um you got national treasure i mean oh yeah, yeah. i forgot about national treasure yes he's good in both go, of those yeah yeah can't go wrong there uh, and, and I like him in the movie Holes, the Disney movie with uh, okay. Shia LaBeouf yep, and yep. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, I think. Is yeah, I think that. she's in that, too. Yeah, I haven't seen um, that in a long time. Yeah, he's he's he plays Mr. Sir in that movie. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah. But yeah, um, my, the first one I ever saw him in was Varsity Blues. And that when I was a kid, when I was 14, when that came out, mm-hmm. that was like my favorite movie up until like just a few years ago when I actually started watching good movies. Um. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think all the ones we mentioned, I've been, I've liked him, but it's funny because by the time I got to see him, he was always the bad guy. So you knew when you mm-hmm. saw him in the movie, like in enemy of the state, you knew he was going to be the bad guy, even in mission impossible. It wasn't a big twist that he was the bad guy, you know, uh, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen mission impossible, it's only been, you know, <laughs> almost 40 years now. Uh, or it's almost 30 years now, but yeah, so uh, he's great, but I, I'm, I'm like you, I think seeing him in this now, knowing, I, you know, seeing his later films and kind of knowing him as the bad guy, this bad guy is different because there's a different intensity and to know that, that he was kind of leaning more into that because he was playing against type. Cause the other movies he'd done before that in the seventies, like we mentioned, um, you know, Midnight Cowboy, Deliverance, Coming Home, The Champ. He wasn't necessarily the bad guy. He was really playing more the the good guy, you know, innocent kind of type. So this really kind of changed him or changed the types of roles he took, I think, after this one. Yeah, and I, I, when you do such a such an amazing job at it, that's that's when they want to start casting <laughs> you as the bad guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. T- turning point for him. Yeah. So. I mean, he still played some good guys. Like I said, in, in, in National Treasure, I like sure, him in that because yeah. he's, you know, he's he's a good good guy in that one. So, mm-hmm. all right, we're moving on to Eric Roberts, which I had never thought about him. You know, anytime I thought about Runaway Train, I knew about John Voight, but I completely forgot about Eric Roberts in this movie. Of course, he's the older brother of actress Julia Roberts. Uh, in a mm. career spanning over forty years, he's amassed more than seven hundred credits. Uh, here's just a few raggedy man in 1981, the Pope of Greenwich village in 84, the specialist in 94 national security in 2003, a guide to recognizing your saints in 2006, the dark Knight, of course, in 2008, the expendables in 2010 and inherent vice in 2014. 
Now, have you ever seen a guide to recognizing your saints from 2006? I have not seen that. That you need to add that to your list. That's a great, totally not non eighties related, but just because I'm talking to like a real movie buff. Yeah. I watched it for the first time, maybe 10 years ago. And it was one of those movies that would pop up on different lists, like, you know, hidden gems or, you know, great movies you may have might've missed. And, uh, I was blown away. It was a great, great movie. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. I think is in it when he was kind of making more independent movies, trying to, you know, get his career back on track, but, um, nice. very good movie. Very good movie. So looks good. I'd have to check that out. I do. I yeah. do like me some RD. Oh, Channing Tatum and Shia LaBeouf are in this too. Oh wow. yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, once again, it wasn't, is like more of an independent movie. If I remember it very gritty in spots, but it's kind of like a, you know, slice of life, uh, real, you know, slice of reality kind of a coming, movie. Coming but, of age kind yeah, of movie. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but great. Man, I mean, I have to find that and watch it again now. It makes me want to watch it again. So, yeah. all right. So, but uh, Eric Roberts actually replaced Tom Berenger, who dropped out of this movie to shoot Platoon, which came out in 86, which I can understand that 100%. I think he, I think he made a good choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eric Roberts worked out for several months prior to filming to put on 30 pounds of muscle. Roberts has said the characterization of Buck came easily to him as he had grown up in a Mississippi neighborhood, which was full of ex-cons. <laughs> so um, it did make me laugh a few times, kind of at the beginning when, you know, you're first introduced to the character. Cause I'm not used to hearing Eric Roberts with such a like country or a Southern dialect. And a few times I was like, he's trying to like, he's trying to sound like Matthew McConaughey. And like, he wasn't cause Matthew McConaughey <laughs> wasn't even an actor at that point, but it's yeah. just that, that slow, southern draw like some of the things some of the phrasing and stuff i was like man this, you know that could have been mcconaughey if this was a, you know they were re- to remake this one again i liked his character this movie it was a little irritating at the beginning because you tell he was just he just wanted to be with manny like he was the kind of the flunky the one that just wants to be with the main guy and you know that was his ticket or whatever but i really grew to like him as a character as the movie went on of all the characters he was the one that i empathized the most with i'm sure that's intentional by the story and the director but i don't know what you think about him in this one he had a lot of respect and admiration for manny um and he even says it he even says in the movie he said you were a hero to all of us Mm -hmm. in prison um and he was the guy that stood up to because manny was the guy who stood up to the guards right i mean and the warden yeah and the warden, yeah, and and they were all getting mistreated like like the like like happened a lot back then, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, he he just wanted to be there um to support the man that he was basically idolizing, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean I can definitely have a lot of empathy for him, and I really like that character, man. It's, um, was like partners, yeah, F and A, man, F and A, like you said, <laughs> like you said, kind of like sound like that McConaughey kind of, yeah, yeah, that, that cool Southern drill, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah, he, he, that's, and he's a prize fighter too. So mm-hmm. that, that was a, a cool, cool aspect of it. So, yeah, yeah. I like that character a lot. I, I need to watch more Eric Roberts movies because I haven't seen that many, and yeah, definitely check that one out. And he's uh, he's always like a good side character like he's not you know he doesn't get a lot of top billing you know he's not usually a main character mm-hmm. in movies but he's a great supporting actor a gr- i mean that's a i would put him in that category of like a great supporting actor because that's what he i think that's what he did really well for this 
is he was great in his character, but his the choices he made made Voight's performance even better. And that's what a good supporting yeah. actor is there to do, is to really make the lead actor kind of shine more and give them that energy kind of to work with. And I think the, and yeah, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. So yep. move right on. And then uh third build on the, in the movie, Rebecca de Mornay as Sarah, even though she doesn't show up until about 50 minutes into the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she began her acting training in Los Angeles at Lee Strasberg's Institute, became an apprentice at Francis Ford Coppola's Zotrope film studio. And soon thereafter made her film debut and one from the heart in 1981. Of course, her breakthrough came in the box office hit Risky Business in 83, opposite Tom Cruise. She went on to international stardom with a portrayal of a chillingly twisted nanny in the hugely, hugely popular The Hand That Rocks the Cradle in 92. Other acclaimed film work include The Trip to Bountiful, which also came out in 85 with Geraldine Page, and Backdraft in 1991 with our favorite actor, Kurt Russell. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, Karen Allen, who you'll know uh, from Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Marion, was announced for the female lead, actually. The part ended up being played by Rebecca Dormernay, who said, it was my first real action-oriented picture. There are scenes where I'm walking across the top of a train, things like that. I really wanted to do something that called for a lot of physical acting, where I'm acting not as much with words as with my body. So, you know, coming off of Risky Business into this movie, I mean, she's totally two different characters it just shows her range as an actress and i thought it was interesting you know for an 80s movie to have a female you know train worker and be like that you know the one person left on the train and she wasn't the typical damsel in distress like they didn't have to save her like she was you know trying to get to them to kind of figure out what was going on and then kind of became somewhat of an ally yeah i did and i started looking at her filmography and the first Mm -hmm. thing that popped up was I saw the wedding crashers and then without even <laughs> without even checking to see who it was, I just was like, You shut your mouth when you're talking to me, you <laughs> hillbilly. <laughs> uh so she that was her when she was in her fifties arguing right. with her with her husband, uh Dwight Yoakum. <laughs> right. Uh which is interesting. Right, and then there's right. ris- risky risky business was I mm-hmm. guess that's her biggest one for sure. Yeah, though. yeah. That was her uh, breakthrough yeah. role for sure, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I really liked her in this. Uh, I mean, it was a, it was a good role, and them three huddled up. Like we're gonna, we're gonna talk about iconic scenes later on. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, just the, the stuff that was going on with them, and her kind of getting in between the other two. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was just she she held her own with two for sure. Yeah, pretty stand up actors, man. Yeah, like, so. two powerhouse actors for sure. Yeah, it, <laughs> that's what I say. I had a lot more respect. I mean. She's a good actress. I've seen her in other movies and appreciated her, but I really, after seeing her in this, it, I gave I give her a lot more respect because that's that's a tough role mm-hmm. to be in, and uh, and like you said, being in those intense scenes there in the movie where she's you know going toe to toe with Voight and Roberts, who are kind of giving it all everything they've got. Karen Allen would have been an interesting choice. I like Rebecca Dora. I can understand why she won she won the role. Probably my second favorite character in the movie, John P. Ryan as Warden Rankin. I mean, we talk about evil bad guys. I mean, he mm-hmm. he was definitely hitting on all cylinders in this one. John P. Ryan has appeared in five movies for Jack Nicholson. He's especially memorable as male nurse Spicer in Five Easy Pieces from 1970. 
Uh, he's known as being manic, pale-eyed, and craggy-faced. That's a direct quote. <laughs> With an often intense and explosive screen presence. Ryan was frequently cast as nasty villains, hard-boiled police officers, and strict military men. Some of his notable movie parts include Colonel Hardcore in Seamus in 73, Shrewd Mob Capo Patsy O'Neill in The Witty Cops and Robbers in 73, he was the evil scientist in Future World in 76, Lieutenant Parmental in Breathless in 83, an Irish mobster Joe Flynn in The Cotton Club in 84, uh, fascist lunatic Glattenbury in Avenging Force in 1986, a ruthless drug kingpin in Death Wish 4, The Crackdown in 87, and of course the high school principal Mr. O'Rourke in The Amusing 3 O'Clock High in 1987. So he's wide range of types of movies everything from death wish four which sequels in the in the 80s i love them because they have the there's always got the the sequel number in the subtitle uh death wish mm. four the crackdown you know i just hear the the <laughs> the movie preview guys voice in my head but uh but yeah i think he was great as the warden he was not a character that i was rooting for <laughs> at all in oh, this movie for sure i mean you talk about empathy at Mm-hmm. If, if anybody's going to make you feel empathy for the other two characters, it's this guy right here because he was a dirty, dirty, yeah. rotten scoundrel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, and, and, you know, kind of talking about earlier, and maybe you can give some insight as, you know, we'll kind of moving into the movie, but I didn't, fu- I, that's why I need to watch again. I didn't fully grasp the animosity between the two of them. Like it's there. Like I know that. There's animosity between the warden and uh, Manny, but I felt like I needed a little bit more backstory to really understand more of that animosity, especially when you get towards the end where it's like, why is he so determined, like him flying at the helicopter at the end and trying to get on the train? It's like, why would you go to that extreme? Like, what was the reasoning? So uh, I know you got any insights since you've you got to see it one more time than I did. Well, it's just that opening scene um, in the prison but before mm-hmm. he breaks out. When you see like this kind of ruckus kind of break out and you see the the warden there and he's kind of the cocky. I guess cocky is the best word for it. Just uh, <laughs> you know, very, very conceited. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm, be- I'm better than all of y'all. And yeah, he does make and, that and, speech about, you know, God, then the warden and basically everybody, you know, they're at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Mm hmm. So you see that scene and you see Manny who's in the middle of all this and he's um he's screaming at all the prison guards and he's looking straight up at that warden up at the mm-hmm. top it's because he's got nothing to lose at this point. He's saying, Come on, bring it, give me your best shot. I mean, I'm I'm here, I'm here. Like mm-hmm. and I think the animosity between those two is because the warden is running this prison that's just they're treating these people horribly. Right. 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 And, and, but it's all part of his, his thing. And he doesn't care about that. I mean, he, I mean, he, he sleeps like a baby at night. <laughs> um, and Manny is the one man who is always bucking the system the whole time. And he's standing up against all the guards and against the warden. And so he's like a thorn in his side the whole time. And so, right. Right. Um, part of me would say, Warden, why don't you just let him crash the train? Yeah. If he's such a problem to you. Right. Um, but no, I mean, he, 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 it was, it was a pride thing. I'm, I've got to catch yeah. this guy. Yeah. I'm going to get down here. 
Yeah, it's definitely yeah. two egos kind of going at it and who's going to, it's almost a chicken fight at that point. Like who's going to give in and which mm-hmm. I guess it makes that scene kind of the, it makes it more intense of like both these guys are not going to back down. So you're going to kind of watch them kind of go at it all the way up to the very end. So yeah, that does make, it makes good sense. And one thing um, at, at the end, which just kind of hits me, hit me really hard. Cause mm-hmm. the, uh, something was said, said about him being free. Like whenever the warden finally came onto the train and something was said, uh, Manny says something like I'm free now. Mm-hmm. And, and the warden said, Oh, you think you're free? And he's like, yeah, I am free. And I started thinking about it, man, because he went back and he saved uh, Buck and he saved the railroad worker. Mm-hmm. And now it's just him and the warden. And this this train is going to crash. Mm-hmm. So for him, he is free. He is mm-hmm. free from prison. He's never going back to prison. The last thing he's going to do before he dies is he's going to take that sob with him. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely his. Yeah. That that that's all right there. Yeah. For sure. All right. So a few more cast members, then we'll we'll move into the iconic scenes. So I got to mention TK. Sorry, TK Carter as Dave Prince, one of the. Uh, Railroad workers recognized him immediately. Uh, he's, yeah, he's <laughs> mostly known for his comedic performances, such as the street smart Chester and seems like old times or the karaoke singing Iceman and ski patrol. He's also known for playing slightly nervous characters, such as the roller skating chef Nalls and Jar- John Carpenter's a thing, which we covered last year at this time, as well as the unfortunate national guardsman cribs and Walter Hills Southern comfort. On TV, he was known for playing Michael Mike Fulton, an elementary school teacher on the NBC series Punky Brewster from the 80s, and Milo Williams on the Disney Channel series Good Morning, Miss Bliss. So, yeah, I've always I always think of Tiki Carter as definitely a comedic actor, but he's really good in The Thing, if you haven't seen that one, of course, from mm-hmm. John Carpenter. It's great. Um, yeah, so it was good to see him in this one, kind of. He's still got a little bit of comedy to him, which helps lighten up some of the scenes, but uh, once again, holds his own. Uh, with everybody else. And then I'm just going to mention the last two, uh, which are kind of early cameos of future stars, I guess. Danny Trejo as Boxer is mm. his actual name. Uh, rumor has it he was visiting a friend who was working as a production assistant on the set when he was offered a job as an extra. Uh, Edward Bunker recognized Trejo because they served time and Sam Quentin stayed in prison together. <laughs> Bunker helped Trejo get hired as Eric Roberts' boxing coach. The director was so impressed with Trejo that he gave him a small role. Trejo later stated that he was staggering. It was he was staggered to find out that the coaching job earned him three hundred twenty dollars a day, which was more than he'd ever gotten from a robbery. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I love That's that. That's hilarious. And then, of course, another kind of blink and you miss it cameo, Zeus. Tiny Tiny Lester, also known as Zeus, as Jackson, the security <laughs> guard, which it took me a second to recognize him because he's not as, you know, jacked or, you know, as muscular as a security guard as we've seen him in other movies. And it was funny because I had just watched uh, Armed and Dangerous, which is an 80s movie with Eugene Levy and John Candy and Meg Ryan. But Tiny Lester is in that movie as well. But he's much more athletic he plays one of the security guards but it was funny because I, I saw him in both movies kind of in the same week so i thought that was that was that was fun but uh but yeah it's nice to see those guys we that became tough guys later on that were 
had a little small role in this movie, which we thought was cool. Funny is I remember watching it this this past time and seeing the security guard. I was like, oh, that's Debo, <laughs> Zeus. <laughs> right. I, I I didn't even realize it like the first time first I watched first time, it. Yeah. But I watched watching this time. I was like, oh man, that's 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 so tiny. <laughs> <laughs> and now these messages. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. (sighs) What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues, I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Let's go ahead and talk about iconic favorite scenes. Uh, so what's your iconic scene? So if you're if someone said runaway train, what's the first scene that you would think of? John Voight screaming from the train, looking up at the helicopter, mm-hmm. um, screaming, Rankin, you sucker, I won, I won, <laughs> I won. Going through the tunnels um, and the guy hanging from the helicopter. Just, yeah. that, that scene of, of John Voight all, all bucked up and all happy and proud, screaming screaming at that helicopter, man. That's mm-hmm. that's the scene that, that hits me every like. When I think about that movie, that's exactly what I think of. Right yeah, there. that's a good one. I have like a favorite scene. I don't know if it's necessarily iconic, but I was going back and kind of watching some of the trailers for the movie. You know, of course, they couldn't show the whole scene, but they did use a couple of that. You know, that, that scene is one of them where he's, you know, he's kind of hanging out the busted window, screaming at the, mm-hmm. the helicopter. So my, I, I guess I'll go more favorite scene, which I think for me is iconic, but the fight between Manny and Buck, you know, after he comes back in, when he's he tried to get to the to get kind of get to the front of the of the engine car they were in, and then he Manny doesn't want to let him back in. Of course, 
Rebecca Domrenay's character is screaming, let him back in, let him back in. And he finally comes in and they have that pretty much that brawl, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, the battle at wills where it's like, Buck is like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And it's, there's so much in that scene because it's like, you see like Manny, like, so you think you're tough. You want to be a legend. You know, this is what you got to do. But at the same time, Buck's like, I've tried and I can't do it. Why don't you understand that I can't do it? But they're, once again, that ego and that pride, they're both, neither one of them wants to kind of give in. And then, you know, like I said, she gets in the middle of it. And then it's just that moment where they both kind of break down. Like, you know, they were both ready to just, they were going to kill each other on that train. Like, what's it even going to matter if we stand on this train, two convicts can kill each other, even though Manny has nothing to lose. At that point, I think is where we realize, no, I do have something to lose because even though I don't want to care about anybody, I care about Buck and I don't, I really don't want to kill him as mad as he's making me. And so that's kind of that redemptive moment for the, for the lead character that you definitely want in in this type of movie. So, uh, so that's, that's definitely mine. I think that that scene is the one that I kind of take with me and think going, when I think back at the movie, that's the scene that I kind of gravitate towards. Yeah. um, There's another scene, of course, you know, that's, that's, and I've already mentioned another one earlier about how mm-hmm. he, when he said that he was free at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the one that stuck out to me this time um, was when they first got out of prison and Buck mm-hmm. is talking about how he's saying, I'm going to go to Vegas and I'm yeah. going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to do that. I'm going to live high life and such. Mm-hmm. And Manny said, no, you're not. You're going <laughs> to get a job. You're going to get a job that you can get, you know, that a convict can get like mm-hmm. a janitor or something, right? you know, some kind of job that you can get as a convict and you're going to serve your boss and you're going to, you're going to be proud. You're going to be proud of that job. Um, and you're going to do whatever he says. And, and if you can do that, then you can be president of that company. Um, and Buck says, you know, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do any of that kind of stuff. Could you? And then Manny said, you know, I wish I could, I mm-hmm. wish I could, but I, I just, when I saw that, I was just thinking, at this point, even now, even before anything happens, Manny knows that he's pretty much at the end of his rope. I mean, he's mm-hmm. whatever happens, um, he's going down for this, and he's trying to look out for Buck at this point. And he's saying, "Buck, right. you don't need to be going out to Vegas, living the high life. Mm-hmm. You just need to go get yourself a job. You just got <laughs> out of prison. Just right. go get a job. Go clean toilets. I don't care what you're going to do. Get mm-hmm. a job. Make money." And just live a quiet life right. because th- that's all you can look forward to. And if you can do that, and if you can, if you can be content in something like that, then you can move up and you can be the president of that company someday. Um, that's him being a mentor to this guy who obviously yeah. looks up to him. And that yeah. just, oh man, it hit me hard when I watched <laughs> it. I was like, dude, it's not even the movie hadn't even started yet. Right, <laughs> right. But it's uh, cool too because even with the story, because. Manny wasn't asking Buck to come with him. Like Buck pretty much just kind of invited himself. Like he was just, he was part of the plan to get him to the gate, you know, to kind of sneak out. But then Buck was like, you're not leaving me here, man. I'm coming with you. And it's Mm -hmm. almost like he, he's almost like a thorn in his flesh or, you know, like a thorn in his side, like the, you know, oh man, I got to keep up with this kid who's, you know, too loud and he's probably going to get me in trouble and probably going to cause me to get caught whatever. But he does, like you said, he does care for him and does want to teach him. It's like, well, if he's going to be out here, I got to show him what he needs to do. So, yeah, 
this movie is really layered, which is what all great movies are. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's really a good, a good thinking man's movie, which is of course why I brought you on this episode. Cause you're a good thinking man for these type of movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely peel apart the layers like an onion man. Like, yeah, just, I, I think about things that, I, I, that I guess you probably, the typical movie goer, or even the typical critic probably wouldn't notice. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll look at it from a different perspective, like as, yeah. as, as a man. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah, there's a, but those, those lessons are in there for sure. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what was the most manly movie lesson that you pulled from this one? Being content with what you have in life. Um, what, what Manny was trying to preach to Buck uh, uh, about that was, you know, you have just been given a gift. You've gotten out of prison. Mm-hmm. I'm the one they're after. I'm I'm Manny. I'm <laughs> I'm the face of of everything. Right. So if, they, right. if 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 I try to get a job, my face mm-hmm. will be recognized. Right. Right. But um, you can just go and live your best life, man. And that's what he's trying to do. Like you're out of prison, just go and and be content with what you have. Be be happy that you gotten this grace that you've gotten gotten out of prison mm-hmm. um and then apparently probably he's got him a girlfriend now i mean this <laughs> one <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen after right, that right but it's just making the making the best out of the situation that you, out of the the hand that you've been dealt mm-hmm. um and that's what i felt like manny was trying to say to buck and and then also if something's not going right if, if if people are being mistreated and some and and something's wrong in a situation be man enough to stand up for it like manny was mm-hmm. i mean he's a he's a he's a convict right he's not a good guy but what he was doing in prison taking up for all these other guys was i mean he, he was he was being the man and standing up for what was right right, right. so those are a couple little nuggets that i just there pulled out of my butt there so good deal yeah it works that works all right, well, let's uh, hit a few uh, trivia things that I found and that may spark some thoughts about some other scenes if we want to talk about them. So <clears throat> in preparing for the role of Manny, John Voight spent time with prisoners in San Quentin. He remained in contact with some of them for years afterwards. He also made himself look, quote unquote, less innocent by wearing false teeth over his own teeth to make them look brown colored and ruggedly damaged. He also placed small obstructions in his nose to flare his nostrils and make it look broken, yeah, which is cool. I could tell his his appearance was altered a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, I thought this was really cool. The film was shot by the filmmakers in color but with a bleak, cold, and severe look so as to appear as if black and white, but with traces of color added. According to the Alaska Roads website, Quote, this they felt would highlight the contrasting majesty of the Alaskan mountain wilderness with its bleak trees and black rocks against the white of its snow. It also heightened the image of the monstrous, the monstrous black train hurtling down the tracks under the bright white sky, which I do think, you know, visually this movie is pretty good because it did look, I don't know, say weathered is the best word to describe that, but it definitely had its, it had a unique look to it, which it, it, you know, like kind of jumping, you know, decades again, but Snowpiercer, which came out, what in like 2010, I think maybe mm-hmm. kind of has that same look to it where it's, it's kind of, it's not quite fully color, but it's not black and white. It's definitely kind of lightened to kind of give that 
hazy, wintry kind of look to it, especially on the exterior shots of the train in the snow. So, yeah, the the cinematographer Alan Hume, he's he's had a lot of uh, a lot of experience in this aspect. I mean, he oh, did yeah, Return, yeah. he did Return of the Jedi, he did a couple of Bond films. I mean, he did like several like horror movies, Supergirl. Mm-hmm. I won't count that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> and then of course you know the 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 stellar uh comedy who done it a fish called wanda right, right um <laughs> but now i mean you look at the work that he's done and he's he's kind of got an eclectic style there mm-hmm. um but i really really like the way this movie was shot and the, and the look of it um it was just really cool and like i said the most iconic scene is just that train going through the snow and go through the tunnels. And the way <laughs> yeah. that was shot was yeah, just yeah. beautiful, man. I didn't put it in my notes, but I did read like the director of photography wanted it to have almost a documentary type style to it. Yeah. So they did a lot of like angles and shots where you felt like you were looking out the front of the train or looking or hanging on the side, like that shot of like the side of the train with like just that piece of like, once it, once the train like went through that other train and you had like the pieces of metal from the other thing, like hanging off the front. Um, it's like a side shot. There were did a lot of shots of that where it's just going down the track and it really does feel like you could just kind of hang it on the side of the train as it going, as it's going down the track. Mm-hmm. And they did talk about, they used like four or five different trains for the filming, but they were different types of trains. So they had to, they had to build, the exteriors to make all the trains look the same. So that's why they had a lot of that. It's kind of like why they guess they wrecked it early. So they could put all that extra, the extra carnage, I guess, for the lack of a better term on the outside of the train where it looked damaged. So then you could, you know, kind of put other stuff on top of it to make them all look the same. Yeah. All right. Last little bit of trivia. According to the Alaska roads website, there were several differences between the film and its original first draft English script. Uh, there were the film was originally set in Wisconsin, not Alaska. The beginning featured a freight train running past the prison, <clears throat> accompanied by a piece of music by convict Jonah, who played the guitar in the script. Manny's in the prison for murdering his wife, who was two timing him, not bank rob, not a bank robber. Rankin, the prison warden, is younger and more out of control, breaking Manny's arm for harming one of the guards. There is no boxing match scene in the original script. The train engineer, Al, doesn't die of a heart attack. He's pitched off the engine when it takes a curve too fast. That would have been kind of cool. Uh, (laughs) There's a chase sequence where a set of locomotives try to chase their runaway, planning to couple up and stop it. Also, the reason for the railroad company derailing the train and condemning its passengers is not because it would collide with a chemical plant. Instead, a locomotive had derailed in its path in the middle of a town, so a couple of changes that they made probably just story-wise or could have been filming like the thinking about the uh the engineer being thrown out of the car from a uh because of going too fast that would have been probably tougher to film than him just having the heart attack and that causing it to to, <laughs> to get get lost but um yeah but yeah but good stuff. So any other scenes or anything else that you want to you want to mention before we totally wrap it up? Man, I can't think of it. Oh, one other thing that I remember when Rankin says to to Manny, he says, 
you think you're a hero, you're scum. And then Manny <laughs> says, we're both scum, brother. <laughs> like the, the, he's, he's got self-awareness of, he knows that he's a dirt bag, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he also knows that he is too. And right, so it's just, right. it's the realization that, you know, we're all, well, to use a Christian term, we're all right. dirty. We're all dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. Right, so, right. <laughs> like, yeah. We're all flawed humans. We, nobody's, For sure. nobody has, nobody's got it all together. Nobody's perfect. And, hundred percent right all the time. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about box office and critical reception. Runaway train had its premiere in New York city on November 15th, 1985, followed by its limited release in 965 theaters on December 6th, 1985. It made about $2.6 million on that opening weekend. It was released nationwide on January 17th, 1986 and was well received by critics, but failed to find an audience. It opened in eighth place its premiere weekend and failed to make back its production costs. So it wasn't financially successful. As we mentioned, it did make its, uh, make its run with the critic. I mean, make, make it its run with the, uh, award seasons, uh, by being nominated. It won for the, uh, I think John Voight won the Golden Globe. Um, mm-hmm. and the, and the movie won the Golden Globe, but Eric Roberts was also nominated for best supporting actor, but he didn't win. Um, for a Golden Globe. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 83% on the tomato meter with a 76% audience score. And then IMD, IMDb has it 7.2 out of 10 with viewers and a 67 on Metacritic. 67 is way too low. Way too low for that. <laughs> as always for Metacritic. So. Yeah. so where does it fall for you? Is it in the 80s, the 90s? Where would you put this one on your ranking? Uh, when I first watched it, I had it at a uh, four and a half stars out of five. Okay. Um, and and rewatching it, I probably would put it, you know, either four or four and a half again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's it's that good. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and like like we said earlier, it's got a lot of layers, man. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's more than just trying to stop a train. <laughs> like it's, yeah, yeah. It's you know they they did the movie Unstoppable like what twenty years ago with uh, Denzel Washington and Chris Pine, which is you know not, not yeah not really the same type of movie, but you know a little bit more on the action side. It was funny because I watched one of the trailers for this movie and it had like different critics. I guess it was one that came out after the movie had already been released. They were trying to get people to go see it, so it had all these little headlines from credit critics, and one was like you know best action movie, and I was like eh. I don't know if I'd really classify this one as an action movie. It's really more of a drama with some action, like thriller type of aspect as you get to the end. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't put this one on my list of eighties action movies. I'd really put in the drama category. I, I, I could see this movie being remade and making a little bit more, you know, polished in those aspects of the, the building the intensity, but it still holds up really well. Um, and I think for 1985, it was probably more cutting edge than we would think of it now with what they were able to do uh, with those scenes. Cause the other thing is those are real stunt men that wasn't green screen, you know, mm-hmm. on, on the trains. Uh, there were a few scenes you could tell where it was, the film was sped up to make it look like it was going faster, which is a pretty common practice in eighties yeah. movies. So um, some of those things, you know, didn't age as well, but overall it's a solid movie. And like you said, I I think it definitely deserves 
more than one watch to get the fullness out of it, especially of the characters and the the layers as we talked about. So, so I hope everybody out there enjoyed it as much as we did. All right, man, we're going to wrap it up, but thank you for joining us uh, for this episode. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. And I know I have you again here before too long. Anybody who are like collectors out there, if you, if you like ever hit up those Kino Lorber sales, mm-hmm. um, the, this one is available on, on Kino Lorber and every once in a while when they have those sales, you can usually get it for like, you know, five or 10 bucks or something. Okay. And it's cool. a, it's a, re, it's a really nice, um, copy to mm-hmm. Blu-ray. So that's, that's the one that I, I bought at one of those sales and that's the one I watched recently. So it's, it's a cool. good one. Very cool. So definitely check out Manly Movies uh, on your favorite podcasting platform. Go go and check out some of the episodes that JB has done. If you want to listen to our Tombstone episode, sounds good. Uh, everybody loves Tombstone. I'm your Huckleberry. Uh, <laughs> be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review my show and JB's show. It helps us to get the uh, word out about the podcast as well. Um, you can support our show through buymeacoffee.com. You can also buy a t-shirt or a sweatshirt from our website. Go check those things out. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who loves 80s flicks as much as we do. And of course, you can follow us both on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I know for me. So where can they find Manly Movies on your socials? I know you're on Twitter. You're much better at Twitter than I am. <laughs> uh, I'm mainly on Twitter. Um, yeah. I, I, my Twitter handle is at Manly Movies 1. I'm also on Facebook.com slash Manly Movies. Um, and, and my podcast is available on you know Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. If you want to hit me up, I'm JB Huffman. I'm also on Letterboxd. <laughs> you can look me up on Letterboxd. JB Huffman. That's it. Just JB Huffman. <laughs> um, so you can hit me up on any of those, and I will probably respond. Uh, but mainly, honestly, I have a I have a personal Twitter, but I never ever ever use it. So I'm I'm, I'm only on there as my manly movies uh, pseudonym. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for joining. Thank you, JB, for being a part. Always a pleasure to have you, my friend. So we we'll look forward to having you uh, again pretty soon. That's it for this episode. I'm Tim Williams for the '80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. 
Hey everybody, do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about the days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life for You. And here at Retro Life for You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.